Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. In this episode, we go over a few last-minute questions that you all have sent in, as well as a few questions I had for Baxter of my own. And Baxter's literally driving over to Elk Camp during this episode, so if it cuts out a little bit, just please forgive us. But we cover a few different topics, so stay tuned. It's the day. It is the day. The day. Day one hunting. Yep. We're, uh, I guess it's the morning of the day. We're both going in this afternoon. So Friday of Labor Day weekend, kind of crazy. Finally got here. No, it's, I've been, I think, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast, but last year when I was driving out of elk season, I was like, I cannot wait until September 1st next year. And it's just crazy to think about that. That was almost a year ago and we're here and, uh, Baxter's driving in right now and, uh, I'm getting ready for work in the morning and, uh, we just figured we put out one last minute questions episode and then give you guys an update on our plans for September. Uh, hunting plans and also with the podcast and then go from there. Yeah. And I think we've uh, a lot of early feedback too about what's going on, how we're going to structure our hunt and a lot of different things for guys that are, you know, hopefully you're out hunting this weekend. If not, you're leaving pretty soon. So some, some helpful little tips around how elk season is looking in the West this year so far. hundred percent. Uh, so yeah, we took some of our listener questions that we've been, I've actually been getting emailed to them and then some of my own questions as well. Um, so we've got a handful of random topics here, but good to think about as you're maybe driving into your elk camp. Um, so the first one, this one, this question probably should have been answered uh, a while ago. You shouldn't be figuring this one out <laughs> while you're driving, but it's good just yeah. to double, double check, but it's a how to actually fit a backpack. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I think all these questions are going to be you know, theoretically things you should have dealt with before, but there's like the theory and what you should do. And then there's the reality of where you always get to, right. Um, <laughs> there's something, there's something deep to dig in on there in life. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think this one's, uh, this one, unfortunately is something that's not like, Oh, what boots should I have? You're like screwed if you ask that question. Right. But this one, fortunately is something you can kind of figure out during the season. Um, so first thing I'd say is I always default to whatever the manufacturer says, just cause like they, they know their product and sometimes things do fit slightly different. Um, but if you know, you don't have those instructions or you just want a general fitting, um, I've used a ton of hunting packs, a ton of backpacking packs. The general way I do it is, you know, loosen all the things up. So it's not, you know, the problem is if you start with something tight, you're, you're, optimizing for that without knowing it. So I'd loosen up the shoulder straps, I'd loosen up the load lifters, I'd loosen up the, um, the thing that bridges the hip belt to the pack, I'd loosen up the pack bottom itself, like literally everything that fits you, I'd get, get it a little loose. Um, I would absolutely look at what the manufacturer says is their range of uh, the fit from your, your torso height. We've talked about that in the past, but torso height has nothing to do with how tall you are. Like I, I'm six foot one ish and I actually have a pretty small to medium, right? more of a medium sized torso height, uh, about only 18 and a half inches, which puts me just into a tall frame with some folks, puts me in the middle of a normal frame with other folks. 
So hopefully you size that right. You bought it right. But look, it's not just sizing and buying your pack. It's looking at the pack you've got. And if they say, hey, this is a 18 and a half inch to 20 inch pack, then you know you should probably have your pack set at the bottom, near the bottom of the range if you have an 18 and a half inch torso, right? So that like gets you in the general frame of reference versus a lot of guys just pick it up out of the box, put it on. They're like, oh, this seems good. It's like, no, there's a huge range of adjustability, even though they have multiple sizes. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I remember uh, like yeah. we're, we're pretty close in height. I'm like just about 6'2", but your torso, uh, your you have a you have just way longer legs so it's like the the and a shorter torso i think than i do yep, um sure. and so yeah it, it's just totally unique to each person on the sizing yeah so we actually even though like you said we're almost identical height we have the same pack frame size the QU, the tall version but i'm like bottoming it out mm -hmm. and you're, you're like maxing it out right it's the uh the opposite of the spectrum so <laughs> we both bought the right pack but it would fit horribly if you grab mine yeah um, yeah exactly totally so that's that's like adjusting on the QU ones pulling up those little um velcro sections for the shoulder straps moving them down or up for other packs it's like popping them out redoing whatever it is get it close to where you think it's going for step one is always then fit the waist belt so you get the the waist belt out and i'm not going to talk about the sizing the pack we've already done that so guys you know you you go for that big lump in your neck down to your the top of your hip bones. But what's important about knowing where your hip bones are is you like stick your thumbs into your side, right about where your stomach is, and you slide them down. You'll feel that bone kind of right at the top of your, your hip. That's called the iliac crest. And that uh, right where that thumb hits that, you want that to be in the middle of the, the waist strap. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's what guys need to realize about backpacks. A lot of folks grew up with backpacks at school and put all the weight on your, your shoulders. And that's actually the exact wrong thing to do with a backpacking backpack. You want it to rest all its weight on your waist and the shoulder straps and everything else are really just to stabilize it, to keep it from tipping over backwards. Right. Right. Uh, so you get it, so you get it to the point that it's resting there. This should also be said that, you, um, you know, this late in the game, you probably got it fully packed. So it's good. But if you're at home and you're doing this, you should have at least what your general pack weight is, you know, 30 pounds in there when you're fitting it. So you're fitting it empty. It's just not going to, like it's going to slide, slide down below that iliac crest the second you get weight in there. Um, so this is, this is a much more detailed explanation, but fitting this is really important. So get the weight, uh, fit that thing to where it is, and then kind of bounce up and down, take a few steps. Um, if it slides below your iliac crest, you know, it's not in the middle, cinch it up. It's not, the purpose of that is not to have it there when you first put it on. It's to have it sitting there while you're moving and you're, you got the amount of weight you're using and hiking all around. Right. right. Um, and then at that point, uh, I'm going to tighten up the shoulder straps and then the, the center locator or whatever the thing that clips them together mm -hmm. and uh, get that all squared out and play with that because probably at this point I'm going to figure out, does this impede my draw for my bow, you know, for archery really important, you know, do you have to pull them tighter together? Do you have to you know, pivot them out? If you can do that on your pack, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then at that point I'll tighten the load lifters, right. Which are the things that go from the top of the strap to the backpack itself. And so at that point, you're really looking for a few things. You're looking for that strap to kind of go around your shoulder but not be like completely 
Like it should just in a perfect world, it should barely touch your shoulder, but put almost no weight on the top or the back of it. Right. If that the, makes sense. Yeah. That the, on your shoulder strap, the tension should be in the front of the shoulder, right? Like almost like generally speaking. Yeah. 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 Almost like to the right of your, your chest. And so the top yeah. and the back are a little bit lighter. Not, it's not like cinched down on around your whole shoulder yeah. and back. There's a slight amount of weight there, but it's not load bearing. Like you're not mm-hmm. lifting anything with your shoulders. It's just like enough tension on kind of like your clavicle and the top front part of your shoulder on down that it keeps the backpack from pulling back mm-hmm. um, going from there. So yeah. And the, the thing I'd say about this is that one, this is something that you can't just like nail perfect the first time. Like I'm always, when I'm hiking around, I'm tweaking, I'm pulling, I'm, um, tensioning things, untensioning things. Cause you only learn what fits you and what's good for you just by experience. So this is a great one before elk season. Like if something doesn't feel right, or you kind of feel sore in a certain area, yeah, you can easily take out the load lifters and put a little more tension in the straps. And like, there's really good ways to mess with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, does that, I mean, hopefully that helps someone fit in it, but yeah, the key is just make sure all the weight is on your hip belt. It's on the iliac crest when weighted and uh, you're not, you don't have much uh, weight on your shoulders. Yeah, there's two bad things in your shoulders. One is the torso height's too short and it's putting a lot of force on the top of your shoulder. You're going to feel that you get sore in your shoulders and your traps. The other one that's pretty bad is if it's too big and there's this giant gap between the top of your shoulder and the the pad and it only really touches like on your pecs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually less bad than the other way around. So I'd always air that direction, but you're not, uh, there's, you're not really letting the pack be controlled as much by those straps. So it's going to kind of be free floating and slidey and feel weird, put a lot of pressure on your chest. You can't breathe well. Right. Yeah. And then, so once you got the pack fit, the, this next question is a pretty good one. And it's also might speak to even how to load a pack regularly, but the next question is about how to load meat onto that pack. Yeah. And that's a really good question. I didn't, I intentionally didn't throw in a little too much detail in the last one. I knew this was coming, but uh, the thing about a pack fit is that it's dependent on you hundred percent on you and hundred percent on the weight you're carrying. Like we talked about, you got to fit it with the weight you're carrying in it. Mm-hmm. So when you pack meat, uh, it's going to change the fit of your pack, right? So for example, Exo Mountain Gear, you know, brilliant company, like really, really great reviews. People like one of the best podcasts in the biz. Um, they, those guys understand this application inside and out. And what he's done with his packs, which is really smart, is they put a little tiny metal, uh, I don't even know how to call it, like a dowel almost with a ring on it. But that mm-hmm. ring, you know, it's like an inch or two inches long. That ring's not in the center of that dowel. It's like towards one side, like 75% up it. That makes sense. So when you're normally going along, that thing, 75% of it's inside the tube that is the frame that holds the backpack up. And when you pack meat, you pull those out, you flip them and you stick it in and only 25% is inside. So effectively what it does is it lengthens your torso adjustment by like an inch, mm-hmm. right? Which this guy's are like, what the hell are you talking about? What rabbit hole is this? Basically, he, he understands that when you put more weight on, you're going to have to probably make your torso height longer. And because that thing is going to sink way lower on your body. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Put a hundred pounds in all of a sudden the adjustments you had before went to hack there. It's there's zero chance. It's going to 
uh, you're going to have all your weight on your shoulders all of a sudden, because it's going to sink below your iliac crest. Yep. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you so want to kind of compensate. The number one. Yeah, totally. So this is probably the number one reason guys are like pack outs are hell. And like these backpacks suck when it comes to packing out is, uh, some backpacks are so overbuilt. Um, Kafaro, for example, where they're like three or four extra pounds in other packs that even if you have a bad adjustment, sometimes those shoulder straps are so cushy, they still feel good. But mm-hmm. some of these other packs that get really, really solid criticism for the original Kuyu's, um, for how thin those shoulder straps were, they're just, people were not adjusting them for heavy, heavy loads. And then, yeah, they're cutting into your shoulders. It makes total sense, right? Um, right. You got to probably add an inch or two in there. Uh, so anyway, there's my little diatribe on that, but you're going to be miserable packing out an elk if you don't refit your pack. Yeah. Um, to the yeah. weight it's there. Yeah. So that's it's a good pretty point. easy. So, you know, on a QU, you just rip up the, the pack shoulders, slide it up on other ones. You know, there's little notches. It's generally a pretty fast adjustment. Yeah. Uh, the same principles of fitting it well, where you're looking for that gap on your shoulders. Uh, right. Apply. Yeah. And so yeah. just compensating for the meat. And then in terms of how yeah. to, uh, I guess how to load the meat or how to load a pack. Is it generally you want to put the weight as as much as you can higher up in the pack? High and close, and close to your back. Right. Yeah. And it, I think the question actually the guy said, you know, how do I pack stuff? Just my general pack. And then you know, how do I pack elk meat out? You know, your general pack, if you're doing it right, you probably don't have enough stuff that's super dense that's going to really mess with this. So I'm not as anal about this with my load. Typically, I mean, I've got my water bladder closest, closest to my back. Like, let, let me back up. For both situations, you want all the meat. Like, in an ideal world, if you had, you know, unobtainium and you a square inch of it weighed 30 pounds and that was your entire pack weight you'd want that thing like centered between your shoulder blades touching your back right okay that's the best spot you can put weight in a backpack because if it's lower it it's acts like a lever and it pulls the backpack back away from your back if it's at the bottom of the pack right and if it's further out from your body it does the same thing so really you want it up as generally speaking as as high as as close to your back in the pack as you can yeah um, Packing an elk, that's pretty much impossible because a quarter is like the length of your backpack. Mm-hmm. But you really, what you really don't want to do is if you have your camp gear, you don't want to have your camp gear inside of that quarter. Uh, you want to just, you know, move every, all the light stuff to the outside of the pack and you want to have that quarter literally as tight as you can. Most backpacks have a space between the bag and the frame anyway. And that's where yeah. you want it. But yeah. Yeah, that makes that's, sense. Uh, so you're not sense. fighting it the whole time. <laughs> like someone's trying to pull pull you down by the back of your shoulders. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. This is a great situation for those load lifters too. Those things that go from the top of the oh, strap yeah. to the backpack. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a good chance to really tighten those down as much as you can because that pulls that frame closer to your body. Yeah, yeah um, so you just want it super tight. So yeah, you'll notice a massive difference when you got a super heavy load when you add it, you know, take an inch out of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then, uh, I, with some other tips and we kind of learned these last year, but when you're two or three things I'd say about packing elk, one is don't fight it. Uh, like if you start to fall or you're going downhill and you're sliding, like the, I've heard lots of stories and I've tweaked ankles and stuff fighting it. Mm-hmm. You just go down, just go with it. Just like, like, and don't, you know, you don't have to go down first and stick out your, your, uh, wrists and that sort of thing but like 
just let the pack go. Like I just typically turn around and land on the pack because it's meat. It's not going to hurt it. Um, but do not try to break your fall. Do not fight it. Do not stick out your leg. And you know what I mean? It's pretty easy to break or hurt something with a hundred pound pack. Yeah. Yeah. In most situations, not situations where you're going to, and don't be packing out on like the edge of a cliff or something where you're just going to like, if you fall, you're going to die. That's yeah. But (laughs) I would never, never never be taking a heavy load down anything where I was worried about falling. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, Um, I mean, you're always worried about falling, but like, yeah, you might roll two or three times, but yeah, it's the real deal. Yeah. Cause if you break a leg up there and you got your pack, like meat's going to get ruined, your legs broken, like that's, everything's just all bad. (laughs) Yeah. But, and then you also learned, I mean, I think last year we had each other to kind of pull the other guy up, but if you don't have that, the best way to do it is like sit down, put the pack on, you try to prop it uphill, put it Mm -hmm. on and then roll over onto your stomach, like your face, then get on your knees, then sit up, then stand up. Right. Right. Like that's, you know, if you've got a truly heavy hundred pound pack, you, you probably can't squat that straight out of a, out of a, well, you, know, you can't even get your legs under you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. From crisscross. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, there's those two things I'll say about packing out. You just be super careful and just get up slowly. Cool. Think about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So next uh, few questions are kind of last minute decisions around what to pack in and, and bring in. So the first is about weather. This one's interesting and, and clothing decisions. Um, I actually had a, when I woke up this morning, I, cause yesterday our buddies were telling us it's getting to like the high twenties. It's going to be a little chilly. And I just remembered like, Oh, my long johns, I think they're still in my duffel bag. Like, so I'm definitely going to bring yeah. those, but, uh, and go through the checklist today before I go up. But in terms of last minute weather and clothing decisions, what do you think are some, some big, points to hit on for people as reminders yeah i think this is an awesome dovetail for guys who've been listening that you know the quick maybe we just do the quick update on uh where elk season's at this year so far and then we can talk about kind of what we're doing right yeah um, yeah with the feedback we've heard you know we heard a random guy at the range say this we heard uh d say this who's up there we know a good amount of folks is the first few you know, at least up north. I don't know about Colorado, but uh, we, there was kind of a slightly colder spell that came through. Um, so it's not freezing, but it's not not hot. So they were you know already into the 30s at night, um, 70s during the day. But you know, typical September gets down in the 30s at night, uh, and it's they're already from over here, and they're already bugling and they're already moving around, which is fairly standard, honestly. Most guys. And when they talk about when I'm going hunting and all this stuff, they think, oh, I got to go to the 15th. But my experience, even in Colorado, there's elk bugling opening day unless it's super stinking hot. So I've heard they're bugling, they're moving around, they're making noise, they're rutting, and it's uh, slightly chillier than normal. I think this weekend it's supposed to go back up to, you know, your hunting spot might be different, but the highs where we've, we're going have been 70s. It's gone back up to 80s in mm. the in the uh, the town below where we're at. Yeah. And as we always talked about, it's five to 10 degrees colder than there. And, you know, 20% chance of rain there means hundred percent up there. We've gone through all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so elk season seems to be back to somewhat normal, not super hot and crazy like last year. And, uh, it's going to be brisk, right. Uh, where we're going this weekend, it's not as worried. So to your, 
your question, like, what are we doing clothing wise? I'm always looking at the forecast, like the day of, and I bring everything with me, especially we talked about rain gear and how I don't take that. I still bring rain gear in the car mm-hmm. in case I need it, which is I've literally never done once, but you know, be prepared little boy scout. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm not going to, for me, I'm probably just going to use my standard two jackets and or your mid layer and outer layer. And I'll debate whether I bring that little uh, zip off long johns. You know, but as we get later into this, the uh, the season, like next weekend when we're here already, it's looking like there's a little rain, a little cooler. Like uh, I might think about subbing out a warmer jacket on the outside. Um, and I might think about gloves. Uh, I might think about a, a thick beanie instead of just my standard hat. And I'll definitely bring those, uh, those long johns. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, what I packed really depends on the weather. Yeah. So what are you thinking? Yeah. I run a little cold at, at night when I'm sleeping out there, I think maybe cause I'm so skinny and like the sleeping bags big for me or whatever. <laughs> so I'm, I'm bringing all of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm bringing the long johns. Yeah. Mid layer, the, uh, outer layer, the beanie, um, uh, extra socks. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 It doesn't ever really hurt to have that stuff. I mean, yeah, it's more weight, but like it's, uh, it does make for a cozy night. I think one thing you can't underrate out backpacking is just getting quality sleep. Yeah. It's really hard to do. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. It's uh, but yeah, it's brisk. I mean, you probably, I don't know if you've been outside where you're at this morning, but even down in uh, Boise this morning, you wake up, it's 45 degrees. It's, you know, yeah, it's, it uh, it's not warm. Yeah. It was definitely getting cold last night. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I also am bringing a windbreaker. I'm just going to keep it in the car also. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully we just don't get like, yeah, <laughs> stormed on or like snowed on too bad. Yeah. But, um, no, there's no, uh, no storms in the forecast this weekend at all. No precipitation chance. It doesn't mean there won't be a thunderstorm in the afternoon, but nothing there. But I think next week, last time I looked, there was some unsettled weather. Okay. And, uh, looking, looking at next weekend already when we were coming in. So it should be interesting to see. It's always good. I mean, the old adage is that cold weather fronts get them moving and bugling. It's somewhat true in my experience that, yeah, if it gets cold and it's storm like a day or two before a storm, they start, start moving around. Yeah. And they heard them. They heard a couple. So they're, they're starting to move. Um, this next question was one that I wish I asked last year because I made the mistake um, last year, <laughs> day one, hiking in. I had my three liters full of water in my pack. And I don't remember if I even had my extra like water bladder filled or not, but I basically brought as much water as I possibly could. Cause for me, I was, I wasn't sure where if that stream was on the, on the map was going to be dried up or not, or how far I was going to go to go to get water. So I ended up hiking up all that weight, which I really didn't have to. So how do you figure out exactly how much water you should bring? Um, if you're, yeah, I know if you go to an area you're familiar with, you know, but like, if you're not too familiar, like yeah. how, how do you decide that? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a few other things with like the status of elk country this year. One, I think we talked about this before is it's really stinking dry this year mm-hmm. on the West intermountain West. Generally speaking, it's a pretty solid drought year. Um, and I've, there's been a good amount of thunderstorms and stuff, but it's not been enough to do what, you know, whatever. So generally speaking, the, the rivers and creeks and little 
seeps you might have seen other years are probably going to be dry or very low. Uh, so it's a really good question this year. And then, and like you said, I think you nailed it, which is if you know the place, you're in luck. If you don't, you're not. Um, have I done the whole diatribe on like how much water to carry and how your weight filtration method actually saves you backpack weight before on the podcast? I think we just talked about that in person, right? I think we talked about the weight, maybe the filtration system. But yeah, well, I'll just do a real quick version, which is like a pound or a gallon of uh, a liter of water. Can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's multiple pounds. And it's so funny because guys are paying you pay 100 or 200 bucks to save an ounce or two off a knife. And yet, if you take an extra liter in, you're carrying an extra two or three pounds. I forget what it is. Um, and so that's part of the reason I love these little Sawyer water filtrations and that kind of click out, click in system on a water bladder, not a water bottle, is that it's so fast and easy to filter water. I actually never carry much water because I know I'm saving four or five pounds by not carrying that extra liter and a half I can fit in my pack, right? So the way you filter water actually is a huge decision in saving weight. Um, so that's all the theoretical stuff. The reality is if, I, if I'm going into an area, I know there's water, I'm thinking about the next time I want to filter. So for example, tonight, we're going into the middle, but we're going to get there late. You know, I think we're going to probably get up there around four and go straight from the car. So I'm going to be straight into hunting by the time we get up there. I don't want to take time to filter water. Same thing goes for the next morning. The area we're going to hike up to is you want to be there as early as stinking possible. And we've got a 45 minute hike. So I basically know that I'm not going to filter water until midday tomorrow. So I'll take two liters and I'll hydrate like crazy in the car when I leave so that I only have to drink about, you know, a liter or less than that tonight. And then tomorrow morning, I'll have a liter, liter and a half mm -hmm. um, in the morning. Normally, if I'm going into an area and I've got time to filter, and I'm just taking a liter if that. Right. Because when I'm planning on filtering my water when I get there, so I'm not schlepping all that weight up the hill. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I try to keep as little water in my bladder as possible. Uh, and then when I get where I'm going, I put a lot more in. Yeah. So yeah. I've been stung by that too. I didn't have any, have any water filtered. Now I'm like butchering an elk and you don't want to take the 20 minutes to go down to a Creek and you get dehydrated and it sucks. And you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, totally. It's an interesting, so, uh, balance of like riding that edge. Cause like, I guess in a perfect situation when you're walking out, you drink your last sip of water or maybe you have like at least like a quart in, or in there or a pint in there or something. But uh, yeah, just interesting to, yeah. to, to ride that edge of like how much you need versus how much it's going to end up just being dead weight that you carry the whole time. Totally. Yeah. And this is again why it really pays to get to know an area for a few years. Is you, you've got a good idea where water is and what, like we talked about the whole backpacking high philosophy of like, you know, you got to load up because you're not going to be able to get it up there. Mm -hmm. Thing worse than schlepping in, like you said, two or three extra liters, which is you know, guys laugh at this stuff, but man, it makes a huge difference. It really does. Um, that extra 10 pounds of water, um, packing that up there and then you get there and there's like a creek or a stream and you're like, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> but I've also seen the other one. Just you pull up and you don't have enough water and then you're like double dang it. Now I got to hike out. So there's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's easier to dump than find water. I'll say that, but yeah. if I know an area I'm trying to keep under my pack as I'm going in, right. And right. I might you know, put two, two liters in or something when I'm up there.
yeah yeah there's a line there somewhere uh somewhere to be found yeah and how about food yeah last minute food packing questions uh we talked a lot about food and buying it at the grocery store part of the reason i say that is that uh especially if i'm going in for like a two day or a three day hike i'm gonna actually bring a lot of food that's perishable and not like i'm probably gonna throw a sandwich in my pack for dinner tonight you know mm-hmm. like i'm not gonna eat a freeze-dried meal an hour after and leave a trailhead you know like you're pretty, pretty stupid if you're doing that um so i'll throw in a peanut butter and jelly i'll throw in a you know, just even a turkey sandwich or something. Peanut butter and jelly can last a day or two. So if you're doing these one or two day trips, like you can really get away with not even using freeze dried food, which is generally my bias after eating probably 3,000. That's one. And two is like the big decision is like, how much do you take? Right. Because there's always that question of, okay, well, we're going up here. You and I have talked our strategy where we're going is to go back middle of what we think we've seen in them. Historically, there's one, I always know there's one up in a right valley up there. So we're going to go hit both those. And then we'll hit one in the evening. We're going to hit the other in the morning. And then we're, we're out of there unless mm-hmm. we see a lot more elk. But that's yeah. the, that's the caveat. If we see the elk, then all of a sudden we're hanging out for a day or two. Right. Um, so with food, I'm actually pretty conservative. I like think through, what is the worst case scenario that I add a little bit because especially if you like break a leg or something, you don't want to be running to zero on food. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always get more water, but you can always get more food. So we're going in this weekend. I'll probably take two and a half days of food. Cause if you think Friday night to Saturday is one day effective Sundays, two days, and then I'm coming out on Monday, which is half and you can, generally speaking it's possible to stretch it an extra day if you really needed to so i'm just gonna take all the food i theoretically need for the weekend even though i know i'm probably going into that spot for only one full day gotcha yeah I have, just in case right yeah i have two days packed in there right now so i'll go pack another half day in there <laughs> for this weekend um yeah just never know and that's yeah that's extra weight but that's extra weight worth carrying because you know, say you break a leg and you need to hang out for a day or like we get on a great herd bull and like we just keep trying to get him and we want to be there all weekend. Like we mm-hmm. definitely don't want to hike out because of food. Yeah. Uh, the last question is, this one's more for me, is in terms of managing expectations because so just the psychology of this whole year, like last year going in, I was like, okay, it's all about the learning. You know, it was easy to think that way. I'm going in, it's my first year, like don't expect to shoot anything just learn as much as you can soak up the whole experience. And if you don't get anything, that's, that's fine. Like you, you hunted for three weeks. Like that's a lot of learning. Take that as a win. And I would like to have that same mentality going in this year, but now that like I've have some more experience, I've learned a little bit more and I've prepped more plus, you know, been talking this whole year prepping for this, uh, in a public way. Now I'm just trying to manage my expectations going in. Cause on one hand, I'm like, all right, I'm going to shoot a cow. Like it's going to happen. There's so many out there. If I don't get a bull, that's fine. But like, it's going to happen. But another part of me is like, Hey, don't be that confident. You know, like you want to stay on your edge, like, and like get after it. What are your thoughts there in terms of helping me manage some of my expectations and just the psychology going in, like the mental game? Yeah, I think whenever you set a goal in life and there's a possibility it won't happen, you're setting yourself up for some pretty bad, uh, 
you know, bad expectations where like, if you, you go in like, Oh, I'm just definitely going to whack a cow. And then like mm -hmm. three, four days from the end, you're like, Oh my gosh, I haven't got one. This is the easiest possible thing. And I, I can't, I haven't done it. I'm a failure. Like I can really get in your head. Right. Um, so I'd say like, you know, I've been really fortunate. I put a ton of work in and I've been fortunate. It always takes both to kill, you know, elk four out of five years easily could have killed one the other year, but was trying to get Margaret to get one. Right. So that, you know, in theory, you'd think, Hey, I'm like, no, you're going to get one uh, every year I go in. I'm like, you know what? It's going to be fortunate if I get one. Cause it's just not, it's not guaranteed, man. It's freaking, I've, I've seen it. I think the year I didn't get one, I had more close encounters than every other year I've ever hunted it. Like I should have got one, but it didn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it can, it's just, it's luck and skill. Like you bring all the skill and stuff control you want to the, to the plate, but like luck is there. Like it's a factor. And, uh, so don't, I think with elk hunting, don't ever, don't ever set, I have to kill something is the goal or like, this is I'm going to do it for sure. Cause that's, that's going to be hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're never, you're never going to do that. You're never going to have every year go your way. So, um, so I'd say that, which is like, don't, don't expect it. The other thing I would say though, is when we talk about this is like, be really, be really, really honest with yourself about what you want to shoot. And I think you are definitely in a place where you're like, if it's Brown, it's down. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> like, like you want to shoot something you could care less. If you shoot a cow morning one, you know, I can't, I, I don't know, but you've told me that you're, you're like, I'll be happy as a lark. I won't, you know, two or three weeks in be like, man, should I have done that? No, You're no, I, would I really be want something. stoked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if people think that's, so that's weird, but I would be so excited if I shot a cow no. tonight, I'd be out of my mind. I'd, it would be an so, amazing experience. Yeah. Um, so first yeah. elk. And yeah. First elk. So. That is a hell of a good spot to be hell of a good spot to be. Uh, Morgan and I were having this discussion yesterday about, cause I told you, Hey, I'm just going to shoot a small bull or whatever. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> and she, honestly, I was talking to her. I'm like, why do we need the freaking horns? Like what's like, we've got this pile of horns that, you know, whatever they're cool. And like the first set has a huge meaning it's mounted, but like the two and three are kind of like, okay, they're just like small raghorn bull horns, like cool. They're just sitting up on top of the, this area of the garage. And I'm like, do we really want to have to deal with more horns? Like. Like if it's a big six or it's like the one I shot last year, that was a giant. That's awesome. I'll put that up on the wall. It's a memory. It's great. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was super funny. She made me even question like, why, why even wait for a bull? Like, if you know, you just want to shoot something. Um, but I think, I think for me, I do want to shoot a bull. I know that. I don't know why, but, uh, this is the first year that I'm like, I'm back to fully being super jazzed about shooting anything. Cause mm -hmm. we're running low on meat. Luke loves it. He eats it. It's his favorite meat. It's the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> One year old that loves elk meat. But um, so I'm just fired up and like, dude, I want to want to shoot something. So I think having that in your brain is super important because that decision when it comes when it comes is always a quick one. Yeah, yeah, and it's a good reminder about the expectations. I think instead of making it a goal for me, me personally, instead of making it a goal to kill something, I'm going to make it a goal to be more satisfied with my performance this year than I was last year. Like I want to be more proud yeah. of the, the, the nights I hunted till dark or the, the, that hill I decided to climb and go, or like all those harder decisions 
to make instead of making the easy yeah. decision. There's just you know thousands of them. Sometimes you choose the easy, sometimes you choose the hard. I think this year I just want to choose the harder decision yeah. more often than I did last year. I think that'll be a good goal for me to set. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I do think that if you're looking for elk metrics to track or like, you know, think about, I think encounters is a good one. Mm. Right. Cause I think if you're not seeing elk and you're not getting close enough where you potentially could have shot one or like, yeah, that means you're not hunting well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the part that is impossible to evaluate and like, you should never really use is like, did you actually shoot one? Cause that stuff, there's things you can control and there's stuff that, um, there's things that you like, you can or can't control. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, totally. Right. That's so actually a really good metric. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. yeah. For me, I'm like, okay, did I shoot one? I could care a little less about that. But if I'm like, well, I'm not seeing them and I'm not getting close and I'm, you know, these oppor- not getting opportunities. That's yeah. That kind of sucks. Yeah. That's a, that's a good call. Yeah. I'll actually look back on last year's encounters per day hunting and then see how I can do this year to bump that number up. Um, cause yeah, that's a process oriented goal instead yeah. of results oriented I like that. Totally. Well, it's your results will always correlate. It'll come with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about this before that like, I think for the average hunter, 10 encounters is going to result in one elk. And so if you're not getting 10 encounters, you're really, you're, you're relying on luck. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you think about what you were doing last year, um, what you had, you have like two or two or three encounters last year. I had, let's see, I had those two big bulls come in. I don't know if that counts as two encounters. Um, so yeah, let's, yeah, well, I mean, it was a situation where my, my definition of it is you're under a hundred yards from an elk. Yeah. Okay. Then I had three, I think. No, wait, yeah. I had that cow also. So four. Yeah. Four encounters, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, you got to always normalize it to use a business word for, for the amount of time. Cause you had three or four weeks last year. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you're, you're running like one encounter a week. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Which is not atypical for a new hunter. That's pretty normal. Um, that's a really good way for guys to benchmark themselves and just kind of it's, it's, you just don't know what you're doing yet really. And you're kind of, you know, you only get one or two, right. Versus like, I know for a fact last year I had, you know, 10 or 15 a week. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a long, long time and a lot of effort to get to that point. And so if I'm not, I'm generally pretty upset if I'm not averaging at least one a day. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, I think for you getting from one to like two or three a week, Mm-hmm. would be an awesome goal. Yeah. So yeah. Get, you know, two or three close encounters in this weekend and next week. That's uh that's victory. That's a big deal. You're three times better than you were last year. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think that'll give, yeah. it gave me a so lot of clarity. Uh, that gives people clarity in terms of how to think about progressing in, in their skills. Yeah. No, it, it also helps with, we've talked about this in a lot of different ways we always say everything ties together, but like when you're finding or locating elk or you're doing other things, if it's been three or four days and you haven't seen anything much, if you haven't had an encounter, much less seen something, you're not doing it right in some way. Mm -hmm. I'm not like, that's not to be mean. That's just to be like, that's helpful for you to know. Like you're not in the right area. You're not in the right, you know, altitude. You're not 
you know, moving the right way. You're scaring the elk. You're not using the wind, whatever it is, something's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear, uh, I hear stories all the time of guys, their first trip and they never even saw an elk the entire week. Right. Um, and that's normal too. I'm not trying to down talk people like that's, that happens. Um, but just, you know, if you're two or three days in, that's your, where you're trending, mix it up, right. Mm-hmm. Move to your B spot, go higher, go into different terrain, hunt in different way, like change it up. Uh, because you're on track to, you know, to, not to waste the week. Right. Yeah. So what's, what's the difference if you experiment and screw up, you're already going to be doing that the way you're going. Right. Right. Cool. Uh, yeah. I think those were all the so, questions that, yeah. uh, we had from listeners and a few of mine, any, any last words, I guess before, oh yeah, maybe we should talk about our September, uh, plans for the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're, uh, we do, it's always a September slowdown, right? That's the, uh, we coined that term last year. Yeah. Yep. So we'll be, this will be the last one for probably two weeks at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's an outside chance. One of us shoots one this weekend and we talk about it next week or something, but, uh, or we're just so fired up. We can find 30 minutes, but generally speaking for September through kind of mid October, we only put out one podcast every other week. Uh, fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Fair to say just depending on what happens this season and the time we have in between the, the hunting trips and whatnot. But yeah, we'll slow down for a little bit. And uh, hopefully many of you listeners of this podcast are also going to be slowing down on your listening because you're going to be out there. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And we uh, will also, you know, like, I think a really helpful thing for folks is to give like a mid September update um so that's one thing i've always wanted in other podcasts is like hey you're out there you're experiencing it what are the conditions how are the elk behaving versus another year so we'll you know, definitely before you drive up to elk camp if that's in a week or two weeks just check and see if we pull an album we'll try to do a quick 30 minute update even if we haven't shot something to say like this is this is what you need to experience because that you know that's that week or two of hunting experience can be really valuable to help other guys out uh, so yeah. we'll try to do one of those yeah totally yeah. oh man i'm excited then, yeah. And the last thing too, is like, we're both, this is something that we both do on the side. It's not a moneymaker. It's not a professional thing. We talked a little bit about having to do that to make a little money with it and not lose money in the long run. But, uh, we're thinking about going to bi-weekly in general, just cause like, it's a lot to, to do this every week. And we want to always make sure we're going quality over quantity on these things. And we had some really cool episodes with Paul Elknott Medell with, um, Hank Shaw with some of the ones we've talked about, I think have been huge hits with folks, but you know, doing that every week is intense. That's a full-time job. So we might, uh, we might be going to bi-weekly overall after this season, but yeah, we just ask some guys for feedback, shoot us a, you know, go to the contact form on the website, just shoot us a note, let us know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. just go to baxterbowman.com. And then if you have ideas for podcasts or questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we, we can either do more, uh, episodes like this, if you enjoy these, or we can do just episodes solely on like one question and dive deep. Um, but yeah, and the Patreon thing, affiliate thing, we're still working through that. Just the, the philosophies behind that, and like what kind of <laughs> quote unquote podcast or business we want to run here. It's not really a business right now. It's more of a hobby, but like you said, losing money, but fun along the way. Yeah. And we do enjoy all the good luck messages and the thank you messages that we've been getting. So really appreciate, uh, your guy, you guys and all the support. 
Yeah, let's be real. This is a podcast about elk season. So the last thing we're doing is worrying about the podcast during elk season. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're not, <laughs> we got our priorities straight here. We'll figure all this crud out after the next month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally. So anyway, um, best <laughs> luck to everybody listening. Like uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we're trying to help Josh out. We're also trying to help you out. Like we, we really hope you're out there. You're, you're uh, doing well. Um, if you run across this in the mountains, we'd love to talk to you for about 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> we'd really <laughs> like to talk to you, but then we'd like to have our space. <laughs> so uh, hopefully we meet a few more folks this year like we did, but uh, uh, go get them. Hope everybody has a phenomenal elk season. And with that, we will catch you on the next one.